We're getting started with episode 51 of the Buffalo Community Podcast. We're super excited to be rolling all the way through February. This is the Buffalo Community Podcast, all about the greatest small town in the Ready USA, the, post. the people in it, and how it all Radio works together. DJ. Here are your hosts, Tyler Reese and Mark Benzer. I got to fade that out. More like a radio DJ. Yeah. Episode 51, yep. Buffalo Rock Winery. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for working around all these schedules. We appreciate it. You know, we uh, we thank all of our business owners that are coming in, and oftentimes it's post hours. Yeah, that's how we how we roll, right? Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Awesome. So, uh, Nicole Dittman, Buffalo Rock Winery, um, why don't you kind of give us a little bit of uh, maybe – Let's go back 10, 15 years and, and kind of what, what inspired it. Um, where are you from? And bring us current. All right. So go 15 years. Um, my husband actually proposed um, in California. We had spent a day in Napa and a day in Sonoma, and he proposed on our way back to San Francisco. Um, I have loved wine since I discovered I was allergic to beer. <laughs> so um, that's just been a few more than 15 years. Sure. Um, uh, so 14 years ago, we moved here, actually 14 years this month. And immediately I bought vines and planted that spring. So the oldest of my vines are, will be 14 years old in May. And then I decided that it wasn't enough. I planted 320 vines and had a child on um, at that time, and then another one 18 months later, and decided I needed to plant another 200. So I have uh, over 500 vines. It's uh, almost an acre. Um, and then I planted some more around the courtyard of the winery for aesthetics. Um, so that was, so started thir- 14 years ago, and then I opened the winery over 10 years ago. Um, so I celebrated my 10th anniversary in October, and... You know, I'm st- still learning the game. Everything yeah. changes from year to year. <laughs> right? Did when you initially started planting, was it always with the in the envision of producing, like mass producing? I guess I, I knew I'd go larger than hobby because mm-hmm. anything over twenty is a ho- is no longer a hobby. I was informed when I picked up my three hundred and twenty. <laughs> and and was that cashier or were you from your husband? No, that was from the nursery. Oh, okay. That okay. I bought him from, and I was also pregnant. So he was just like, you got your hands full. Um, yeah, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, right. Um, but when we lived in the metro, my husband thought he had to talk me into moving out here or moving out where we could get more land and not be you know, a mile from the airport. Mm-hmm. And he said, what do you think the idea of us getting some land in? You can put a vineyard in. Wow. Like, okay. Sure. <laughs> So the vineyard idea was there, you know, before we started looking for land out this way. And the winery was really just a dream that I didn't think I could conceptualize. But I had my first child, and I was still commuting to Roseville from out here. And I uh, was one and a half weeks into going back from maternity leave and got the call from daycare for the first time. Oh, your son has fever you have to come get him I'm like okay I'll be there in an hour Mm -hmm. and I thought then and there I could not continue to be an hour away yeah so I decided to do something I could be at home and raise my kids sure so you you said something you you always knew you're going to be more than just a, a hobby how does that even start I mean is it just 
let's just make wine or most people just buy it. What, what, yeah. what, yeah. what was that first step of like, Go well, ahead. let's stomp on some grapes? And... Go ahead and keep buying. I'll, I'll supply it for you. Now. Yeah, right. Um, so, yes, I, did, I was making wine as a, as a hobby before moving out here. Uh, for, so I've been making wine for oh, 15 years. Um, you, literally, it's just like an out-of-control hobby or obsession. I yeah. guess I started with a gallon and thought, oh, this is fun. It turned out. Yeah. And that was the first mistake is that it turned out. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and then a gallon became two, three, five. And, and then we moved out here and I totally took over the basement. I had six and 10 gallon carboys going and, and then I was pregnant and, you know, nursing for all those years and not sure. being able to drink it. And it just kept piling up. And my husband was like, crap or get off the pot you right, gotta yeah. do something here so <laughs> so when he when he basically said that I was like oh I guess I'm gonna turn the pole barn that's just post and steel and yeah. make it my winery yeah that's so cool well and it's nice that you have you know you didn't you didn't have to twist your husband's arm and in, into chasing this dream and making it a reality which is really nice to yeah. have that that encouragement rather than having to Try to convince her. Definitely. And he doesn't even really like wine. So Yeah. <laughs> well, he's not allergic to beer, right? Yeah. He's, he's not allergic to beer, but he's definitely not allergic to Captain either. Right. <laughs> so you uh, you start making it. What uh, Take me through that process of like, do you just Google, how do I make wine? Do you pick up grapes? I mean, your first batch. My first batch, I had... Um, a co-worker at the time when I worked for the city of Roseville, and his wife and him had a small hobby vineyard in their backyard, and they had a bunch of grapes that they couldn't use that year. And under 20 said, plants. So. Uh, yeah. I would, you know, <laughs> I would say under 20, yeah. yeah. It's still it's still a lot of work. Yeah, right. Um, but he, was, he just said, hey, I know you like wine. Do you want to give it a shot and make some? So his wife walked me through it, and I just bought the small one gallon kit and you know yeah. see so if this little jug of a mm-hmm. carboy and little bucket and you know buy the little additives and um, sulfate and you know the yeast and everything all the little stuff you need and yeah. um but it, yeah it's you know if somebody cans they kind of know the process of how you break down the fruit and make the juice out of it and sure um you can add water with grape wine you generally don't add water it's just just the juice so it's 100 percent pure grape sure. juice um, some other fruit wines you can, but um, so yeah, you you pick them, yep. <laughs> you harvest, um, you crush and distem the fruit and and press it. And if it's a red wine, it's going to go into the vat immediately and start fermentation on the skin. So it's called primary fermentation. And then after a little while, you'll press that, and then it goes into secondary fermentation. Mm-hmm. And you have it's like three to five percent alcohol at that point. Um, and then you let it ferment, and you rack it or siphon it over to get the sediment off, and keep doing that for a few times and s- until it's clarified and get to a point where you can bottle it. And so that process, start to finish, is? A, a year. A is year. A good, yeah, okay. unless you're going to age it, then it could be two years. Age it in oak, then it would be mm-hmm. like two years. Um, you could do some sweet, um, you know, non-oaked, um, maybe a fruitier wine in six months. Okay. Um, but you know, to, to actually settle it and um, try to make it as clear as possible, 
But yeah. not that there's anything wrong with sediment. It's totally natural. It's just people yeah. don't like the look of it. Right. So. so if you're wanting some homemade wine or some locally made wine, I should say, not homemade, um, is you don't have time to do it for this next weekend. Go to Buffalo. <laughs> no. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. You, don't yeah. Have you can make me do beer in five weeks or something. Right. But yeah. yeah, wine, you can't do it that quickly. Yeah. I mean, so everything... I mean, everything that you're selling now was done a year ago, and everything you're doing today is, you know, is there, uh, do you have it kind of narrowed down to where you're, you have your core products, and? It's, yes, I try. So my most popular is a sweet red wine called Oxymoron. So love it's kind it. of, have you had it? Well, I love the name. Oh, I yeah. it, so. okay, just checking, because some people <laughs> yeah. have it, yeah. They, yeah. even though you haven't been out. Um, and it's more for that white wine drinker who would like to drink the reds that, you know, for the health benefits of the rest fair at all and whatnot. Um, but there is some of that in the white too. So uh-huh. don't, don't, you don't have to drink red. You can drink your white. <laughs> yeah. Um, but people just want to try to drink red. So it's kind of like gateway red. Sure. Um, you don't have red, to go, in, <laughs> you don't have to do the dry cab or. Right. Zinfandel or whatever. But, mm-hmm. um, but yet you don't have to do the white Zinfandel that, you know, people mock, but. Drink whatever you like. You know? Right. <laughs> you know? it's, it's I love that. I, I think so. people get, you know, especially in the wine community, I'll call it, yeah. um, there's there's that, that, oh, that's that's not good wine. It's like, well, what if you like it? Yeah. Then it's, then it's like really good wine, right? Yeah. But yeah. You, there's, there's a certain amount of people that mm-hmm. prob- kind of give – other people and like yourself, kind of a bad rep, I would think for they come in all kinds. Snob, being a snob, right? <laughs> the, yeah. the wines come in all kinds, and so do the people, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, yes, but drink what you like, and and people ask me, is it okay if I put ice in it? <laughs> if you want to drink it that way, yeah. drink it that way. I right. mean, <laughs> who am I to say? Yeah. As you hear the blender going, you're like, oh gosh. Oh, I, I have <laughs> one of my smoothies. most. Or not smoothies, but yeah. Frappe. Frappe. I have the, one of my most pop- popular items is oh, a really? frozen. Yeah. I was frappe. kidding. No, no. It's, Very cool. Yeah. Um, what is the biggest difference? Like, is climate a challenge when when it comes to, like, growing your own grapes? and Yes. So What's, a, what's that like? This year has been okay, knock on wood, so far. But, you know, you get a polar vortex, like, a few years ago, and all my vines down, died down to the ground. Now they survive, they're going to come up from the ground, but I have to start over. And basically you have to have three consecutive good years to get a really full harvest. Hmm. So, yes, and that has happened twice in the 13, 14 years that I've had vines. So, so does that just mean low production during those years? or uh, Nothing for two years if it starts over from the ground, like nothing for two years. But wow. by the third year, yeah, the roots are established well, so they're going to yeah. come up faster and be more hardy and more... They're going to produce more fruit, but it, yeah, it, a couple years you're, you're done. Cause fruit only grows on, grapes only grow on last year's growth. So if you have okay. nothing ground up, then you got to let it grow that one year. You might get a few the next year, but really it's going to be three. Sure. So does that, so does that mean that you just can't sell wine for <laughs> two years? Oh, thankfully I don't depend on only my grapes. Yeah. No, okay. I have, I have gotcha. local, local farmers. Sure. Even if one has a bad year, and I have I have several that I work with, and they balance it. Got out. your back. Yeah, and if need be, then I can certainly source from out of state, but that is not my priority or preference. 
Yeah, mo most of your stuff for nearly all of it's local, correct? Yeah, some years 100% is. It just it depends on how what the farmers can produce and what they've got sure. that I work with. If they're low on something, then I might have to supplement. Sure. And oh. what? Go for it. Oh, I was gonna say you had, you started asking me about how I get to the point where I just have a, a like a balance. I think oh. you were asking. Yeah. Um, yes, that one is that I've kind of figured out. I know what sell. I, well, I know what sells sweet wine sells. Yeah. <laughs> like Minnesotans love sweet wine overall. I yeah. I like dry. So yeah. here I have to make stuff that I don't even necessarily drink because it's too sweet for me. But I yeah. do make dry. I make a little bit of everything. Um, but yes, I. I make enough that it carries over so if i start bottling in say four to six months last fall's harvest then i will um i won't have run out mm -hmm. hopefully sometimes i run out though i mean supply and demand is hard to predict yeah mm -hmm. on 520 plants that's how many you have right a little more than that Give but yeah take, yeah yep. how many bottles is that on a normal year not a polar vortex year <laughs> i've never had a full harvest almond grapes year yet but uh, you can say maybe 10, that'd be light, but 10 pounds per vine. Or let's say 15. That's a little heavy, though. Um, it takes about 15 pounds for a gallon. Okay. So if I have to say 500 vines, I can have you know, about 500 gallons mm -hmm. of wine. And that's, if I actually did that myself, then I'd, sure. I might just do that for the year. But I don't ever get that from mine. And um, That's like perfect scenario. Yes. Full capacity. Right. And um, I, I, I produce as much as 2,000 gallons in a year, mm -hmm. but the last couple of years, especially 2020, not knowing, I only bought from my local growers and didn't go any further and mm -hmm. didn't source anything else and even didn't buy some of the fruit that I don't always buy. I, I bought my, like, work growers that I've worked with for 7 to 10 years. I bought mm -hmm. everything that they had that I could and... And just left it at that. So it was a little lighter this year. Sure. And are these, you know, you think of, I think most people think of grapes and they think of, you know, red or green seedless grapes, right? It, when it, what is the biggest difference between like a store-bought grape and what, what you're using? Huge difference. Well, one, they're seeds. So they're not really fun to just nibble on. Mm -hmm. um, they're much smaller. So the seed to, their skin to meat ratio is much um, smaller, mm -hmm. um, but the biggest thing is that there's they're seeds. Like mm -hmm. we, nobody, they're, they're soft seeds in some of the um, edible, you know, seedless um, grapes that still have seeds. But the, these seeds you're not eating. Yeah, it, there's nothing worse than eating a grape with a seed in it. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> like and side skew right there is like oh, oh sweet seedless. I remember, I remember when I was disappointed a kid. As yeah. a kid. When I was a kid, you used to accidentally buy grapes with seeds in them. I can't tell you the last time I accidentally or even saw. It's like I, it's like they don't even exist anymore. It's not except at Buffalo. Rock. Yeah, the market's not there for <laughs> yeah edible seeded seed full. Yeah, <laughs> I was right. promptly reminded by my my, uh, my six year old this weekend. There's seeds in these. You got seeded grapes? So you bought some with seeds? Well, I think there's one with seeds. Oh. In it, oh. So. <laughs> That's all. Mutation or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So they might all, might as well all have seeds. Yeah, yeah. He didn't eat anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other big thing, um, big difference, is that these the grapes I use are developed mostly from the University of Minnesota to be wine grapes. 
Sure. So they're going to have the characteristics that you would want, some mm-hmm. tannin, some, you know, the mouthfeel that you can get from the juice, you, mm-hmm. you know, once you develop it into the wine. But they're made for the wine so that, you know, acid levels and harvest parameters can match up to what you'd want to work with. Mm-hmm. What is it about, like, the classic well-known wine countries of the world? What is it about, like, their climate or that makes Napa or, you know... France, right? Or, you know, some of the other, New Zealand, some of the big producers. Well, much more mild. They aren't having to deal with grapes that have to be able to survive minus 25 degrees. And Mm -hmm. um, if there's no snow, that's really hard on the vines. If there's snow for a blanket, that's that's beneficial. Um, They have a lot longer growing season. I mean, we have to worry about late frost in the spring and early frost in the fall. So a lot of times you can't get that acid level down. So that's one thing for people that aren't familiar with Minnesota wines. They're going to get that initial acidic um, up front. And, um, but that, I'll get back to that. But the acid is just purely from the harvest parameters, and there's sure. only so much you can do about it. Now, the benefit of that is that Minnesota wines are very food-friendly. You don't have to work too hard to, to pair things up. The acidity goes with, like, anything fatty, any cheesy, creamy, mm-hmm. anything. Something super Minnesota y. Yeah. Yeah. Cheesy. Yeah. Wow. I just, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm listening to you talk, and I'm just like, how do you sleep at night? Like, well, if it gets too cold, I lose all my vines, all of them. If it, if I don't get an early coat, like, I just feel like there's just so much that you're just is teetering on the brink of, I don't want to say disaster, but just like pain in the. Uh, yeah, I, I don't sleep much. Yeah, right. <laughs> not, not necessarily because of that, because my mind never shuts off. But that is why I have crazy names for my wines, like the oxymoron. Mm-hmm. And um, I, literally all my wines are just like, they're either named after my family members or they're, something happened. Like I have one called Mayhem. And the first time I made that wine, it literally fermented and plugged the airlock and I was working full-time still in Roosevelt and got home and I could hear a piercing noise shooting. It was, it was crazy. And it had actually pushed so much pressure on the top of the drum cover that it bowed. And when I released, <laughs> when I released it, it shot up and hit my 14 foot ceiling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yes, ma'am, it happens. Yep. See, and so is that shot then? Is that? Oh, no, no, just the, it's mostly froth and sure. know, foam. It's not nearly as much waste. It's just a huge mess. And yeah. whatever shoots out, it's just it's gone and the rest right. stays in the tank. Do your, does your family members know who is named after what, like oxymoron? Whoever that's named after, do they know? Well, uh, oxymoron is because there wasn't sweet red wines at the time. And I made my first batch of wine. It was red. And I knew that if I made it, I was going to drink it all. Or if I made it dry the way I wanted to, nobody was going to drink it mm-hmm. except me. So I made it sweet. And that was my first oxymoron. And it literally was like an oxymoron in a bottle. Sure. Now there's more sweet reds out there. But sure. at the 15, 16 years ago, there really wasn't. So that one's not named after anyone. But the, the real names that I have, they have their name in them. Like, oh, okay. my mom is Rosemary, and it's Rosemary's Rosé. Papa okay. Mike's Rockin' Rosé, my dad, and my father-in-law's Papa, Steve Con- Papa Steve's Contraband, or um, Peg's Apples, my mother-in-law. My kids both have wines 
My husband has Jeff Shiny Moon, which is a port. Yeah, That's so they're fun. like straightforward. Yep. I'm not insulting anyone. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but, and, like, secretively. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all twenty five thousand of our listeners are like, mm. and they're like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's like Blonde Bomber and yeah. uh, um, uh, Hot Mama. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are other ones. Not a pat on my back. Just kind of an inside joke. I, I hope to be a part of one of those someday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, my uh, son's Marcus, so that's yeah. what I was closest. There you go. How, you how, ma- how many? Uh, how many typically? How many um, varieties do you typically carry that you uh, produce each year? A lot, over twenty. That's so wow. literally something for everyone. Yeah. And that I'm kind of on the lighter. I was up to thirty when, mm-hmm. when I had a lot of time to bottle in last spring because because yeah. of everything. I had thirty different yeah. kinds. Yeah. So what, like, and maybe this is hard to answer in a 30 minute podcast or whatever, but like, I'm just trying to think like, okay, so how, you know, you have this red wine and you have this red wine and you want to make something that's not this red wine, something different than the two red wines that you already have. Like just, I suppose it's not that much different than, I mean, it's way different than beer, but just like you can make any different kind of beer. Yep. A lot of, a lot of factors. The biggest thing is going to be the harvest parameters because you, you know, you can't do much with the sugar level and the acid that you get, except that you can add sugar. You just you can't really take away the acid. You sure. can't take away the sugar, but you can ferment it dry. So yes, yeah, so you can create anything from. Well, you can't always ferment it dry, so that's mm-hmm. another thing. But you could always back sweeten it, like a oxymoron is always sweet. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so y- you could take, I could take a tank of. I, I, I could take a harvest of one grape and I can make four different batches and they could all taste different. Different. Okay. And, but just using different yeast, different sugar levels, um, just different process. And, and then, of course, if I blended, but literally I could take four different tanks of the same exact grape, 100% of that varietal. Sure. And it could turn out different. It would turn mm-hmm. out differently if I wanted to make them look or taste differently. Mm-hmm. I think you asked Pugs the question, but um, I'd be curious to know too. Anything that just didn't, like, you, I can't bottle this and sell this. This just didn't work out. Oh, not necessarily that, but sometimes there's re-fermentation. So if it wasn't completely mm-hmm. stable, especially if it's a sweet wine. So I've had, like, corks that pop, and, yeah, it's, it's a very unfortunate situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Always a great wake-up call when you hear that pop, right? Yes, it's very loud Yeah, <laughs> and very messy. Yeah. <laughs> So there's been some flash sales. I got to drink it right away and keep it in the fridge. Right, yeah. <laughs> do it you, happens to the best of us. Um, do you, uh, with, with the regulations in making wine, I'm sure there's plenty of red tape that you've got to go through. Yes. Now, are you maxed out on how much you can produce? Yes, but it's. You're not even close to Oh, that. my gosh, no. no okay. Nobody in Minnesota is there. And then secondly, is is there a threshold of alcohol content that you have to stay under? Is there a gauge that well makes a wine drinkable? Table wine is anywhere from 7, well, in Minnesota, it's 7 to 14%. Sure. Federally, it's 7 to 16%. That changed a few years ago. And so then a port in Minnesota <laughs> would be the 14 to 21%. Yeah. And that could be fermented about 14 and it can be fortified so keeping yeah. take another grape spirit brandy or whatnot and bumping up the alcohol so up to 21 percent and then 
Um, I've never done it, but it, I have the reports. They're on the same report, so I could do 21 to um, – I'm not even sure what the, mm -hmm. the next step sure. is. Um, that would be a lot of fortification. That's you could not ferment it that warm, right. that hot, hot mm -hmm. as far as alcohol goes. Um, and then, of course, under 7% would be more like the ciders. And, and I can do that, but then the labels are regulated differently. Yeah. So that goes through the um, FDA – Versus TTB, so tobacco and trade. Okay, okay. Yeah, there's regulations everywhere. Yeah, coming. Yeah, I get that a lot as the insurance business. It's you talk to man, you just take all the fun out of this business. I'm trying to run here, and I would imagine there's not like the free spirit of the real estate world. Yeah, right. There's no laws in that. Yeah, right. Yeah. What? Well, what? What's next for Buffalo Rock Winery? I'm looking forward to spring and opening up outside again because um, indoor regulations are too stiff right now. I'm still doing some very limited hours, but at 50% capacity in a very small room already, um, it just um, it, it's best to be outside. Mm -hmm. So yeah. hopefully we have an early spring in April. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, early I, spring, long summer, long summer, yeah. yeah. And we, you know, last year was actually pretty great because most of the time I had to serve outside, and it did. It for the most part worked out. Not a lot of rainy weekends. Yeah, not a lot of. I feel weather-wise, we were pretty blessed last year for mm -hmm. how much everything else sucked. <laughs> yes, <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned that you have. Do you try to kind of follow the occasional sales schedule with with your hours? Yep. In the As winter. Yep. In the winter, I for. For the last maybe seven years, I've done the one week in a month, mm -hmm. maybe a special event here or there. And then generally in the summer months, mm -hmm. I'll add hours. And I know like Buffalo's kind of become known as a little bit of a destination for occasional sales and things like that. Do you, do you find you get a lot of um, people coming out to Buffalo to, to hit Buffalo Rock Winery while they're in town? Or where, where are you seeing a lot of your clients come from? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, definitely a tourist destination. Every winery in Minnesota um, has that draw. But this last year with 2020 and all the craziness that it brought, I have never seen so many local Buffalonians and awesome. um, in the whole area within 10 miles that had never been out before. So it was pretty incredible for that local support that's, for a small business. That's awesome. And, and, and that's one reason that we're super excited um, to have you on the Buffalo Community Podcast. And I think stories like that is what makes Buffalo the greatest small town in the USA. And one, thank you for coming out here. Go buy some wine, go visit, pray for an early spring. For the Buffalo Community Podcast, I'm Tyler Reese. I'm Mark Benzer. And I'm Nicole Dittman. Thank you. That